Good morning. You are a hearty souls. <laughs> and those of you online, you are too, but um, you're warm and, and you can tell by my jacket that we're not here. It's, it's a little chilly here today, right? Someone asked me this morning, are we going to go Catholic today? And it's like, what? Yeah, are we, we going to go Catholic today? And I said, what do you mean by that? He goes, well, we, we probably need a little stand up, sit down, kneel down, stand up, sit down, kneel down. <laughs> You know, if, if we're going to handle this, this temperature in here. So if you feel like, you know, you need to go Catholic on me this morning, feel free, you know, it's a, uh, or Lutheran or whatever you want to call it. You know, it's like uh, uh, whatever you have to do to, to, to uh, hang in there. But, uh, you know, I, I uh, invited uh, 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 Travis Kelsey uh, this morning to come and, and and bring Taylor here, um, if you know, just to be a part of this because we were doing, and, and I hadn't heard from him, so uh, I, I was really disappointed, you know, that that uh, that they didn't show up. But uh, you know, what uh, what would have happened if 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 uh, Taylor showed up um, would, would be an interesting conversation because um, I, I have to admit that in 2024. Uh, there have been some changes in my life. And uh, they're changes intentionally. I mean, I, I have intentionally decided to do some things differently this year. I'm, I'm sure maybe you have too. Uh, and I'm still at it. I decided that since Taylor Swift saved the American economy, <laughs> that I was going to listen to more Taylor Swift songs. And so if you were to get my Alexa little thing, you would see that there had been more than once in, in the past uh, two weeks that I have said, Alexa, you know, play Taylor Swift playlist. And sure enough, you know, I get a chance to hear <laughs> Taylor Swift. Um, and, uh, and, and I'm growing in my likeness of, uh, of Taylor. I'm not quite a Swifty yet. I don't have a t-shirt, not about to go to a concert or a movie or anything like that, but, you know... Um, but there are other changes that uh, trying to make in, in my world, too. Um, uh, this is a big year for me. Uh, I turned 70 this year. 70 freaking years old. <laughs> so that means I'm getting closer to death, and you're clapping. <laughs> I love it. Uh, but, uh, and so I envisioned in my mind, what kind of 70-year-old do I want to be? And I had a few things. And so one of the things is, is that, and I've been at this since I was 50 and 60, and 70, is, is that the, the, the classic American story is that we gain 10 pounds per decade. On average, and, and you can see it, if you've been to a high school reunion, you know, you know that like I've, I've got one one friend of mine in high school, we played basketball together, and, and he's twice of himself. I mean, literally, he's twice of himself since we graduated from high school. He's gained a few more than 10 pounds per decade. And it's not healthy because the story is, is that not only do we gain weight, but that weight causes problems. It, it, it creates the idea of us becoming pre-diabetic and, and ultimately being challenged by diabetes, which is, you know, systemically attacking our entire body. And so over time, we find ourselves, you know, struggling, creating our own problems. And so I, I decided that I, I don't want to do that. 
And so I, I, I want to lose a half a pound every week. I got a set of scales. I stand on them every morning. They tell me the truth. Um, unless I put the edge right on the little piece of carpet next to where I'm at, and then it shows me a little better than what I want to know. You know? No, I'm just kidding. I don't do that. Um, it's just a, a way of realizing that there's something going on in my life. Uh, maybe it was that classic American philosopher, um, uh, Andy Dufresne's. You remember the quote? Anybody know the movie I'm talking about? Shawshank Redemption. There it is. What did Andy say? Either get busy living or you get busy dying. One of the two. See, that's a simple principle that finds itself in, in every part of life. There is a factor in which things are moving. They're either growing or they're dying. Your body, it's either improving or it's not. It, there's, there's no such thing as stasis or static. You know, when you get static, when you get sort of nothing's happening, that usually means something really bad. It means you're dead. Uh, we look in the world of, of growth, plants, plant, plants, either growing or dying. We look in uh, the mind, and your mind is either growing, you're either learning and continuing to learn, or you're getting dumber. I mean, it's just nothing stays the same. So we see it in Jesus' life, right at the beginning Luke, as he's describing Jesus, he, he moves to his boyhood town that he grows up in. And it says that Jesus, in Luke 2.52, it says, Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. So it gives us kind of these four areas of our, in wisdom. He was gaining in, in a sense of, of understanding life and how to do life as his Father in heaven had designed it. In stature, his body was growing. In favor with God, his spiritual life was, was he was learning obedience, the Bible tells us. And then in favor with humans, his, his relational networks were, were growing. It, it's just a principle in life that we're either getting busy living or we're getting busy dying. We're either growing in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man or we're not. And so how do we, how do we gain that sense of, of, of wanting to grow? Well, I, I would say I just want to put a pin in the map today and say that one of the ways you do that is that when it's 12 degrees outside, you decide to get up and meet with some people who are on a spiritual journey together. And so you deserve a pat on the back or a hug or a you know, hand clap or something for, for, just, for just doing that. I mean, it's just amazing that, um, that people will, will brave them. That's the kind of stuff that an attitude of growth is made out of. 
But one of the key ingredients to growing is a sense of knowing where you are. You've heard me share this illustration many times. My children somehow, even before Google and now even with Google, uh, one of my children especially, thinks that I am Google Maps. Hey, Pops, how do I get to check your phone? There's this amazing thing, you know, either Apple Maps or Google Maps or even MapQuest, if you can find that. You know, you can get there. Hey, how do I get that? So, you know, my proverbial question is, well, where, where are you? I, I can't tell you how to get someplace unless I know where you are. You see, the, the basic understanding of being able to grow is having an ever-present understanding of where are you right now. Psychologists call that self-awareness. And, and I would suggest that in my life, I've discovered it is one of the key ingredients to a spiritual journey. If you want to grow... Optimally, If you want to find yourself getting busy living rather than getting busy dying, then, then you have to have a discipline of self-awareness. Understanding where you are. Now, what's fascinating about human beings, there's a, 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 a PhD-type person. Her, her name is uh, Tasha Urich. And she wrote the book, Insights. And uh, she's, uh, she works at a university and has done a lot of research on people's self-awareness. And so uh, as she started doing this research, she started trying to find what she thought of as self-awareness unicorns. Humans that were legitimately self-aware. And if you were to read the book, you'd discover she comes up with four sort of questions that they ask people to kind of understand whether or not, when they assess them, if they're self-aware. But to get there, thousands and thousands of people were surveyed and interviewed and uh, put through a, a, a battery of, of tests and that kind of stuff. 95% of every person who started that process, answered the question, are you self-aware? Yes. 95%. I mean, there's maybe 100 people in here this morning. So that means uh, only five of you would say, no, I'm not self-aware. <laughs> you know, can you imagine saying, oh, I... I have no clue. I don't even know where I'm at. I'm not even cold. You know, I'm, I, I lack self-awareness so much. Um, I didn't even wear a jacket today. You know, no, I mean, it's, that's ridiculous for a human. You know, it's like, no. But after being put through a battery of tests and, and developing this, this uh, litmus test of four things, Uric found that about 15% of humans were actually self-aware. 15%. That's an overwhelming majority of this room. But not you, of course. No, I, 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 I wouldn't hold it against you yet. But I would like to ask you to keep that question in your mind. 
Am I as self-aware as I think I am? Do I really understand what it's like to live across the table from me? Do I really know that? Because the fact is, is that that kind of awareness becomes the the place from which we push off of to grow, to get into that arena of where Jesus was, where he was growing in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. So what's the problem? Well, when we began, oh, probably three years ago now at Shoal Creek, trying to sort of define some of the, the core values. We had a list of 10 or 12 values that, but there were some, some motives or some feelings or some principles of operation that we operated on, and, and uh, we put together a, a group of, of 11 people that met, you know, five hours a, a, um, a, a, week, a week, every every three weeks we met for five hours of dinner and, and just slugged it out. It was fun. It was painful. It was uh, exciting in many ways, but uh, it it won't surprise you. I mean, it's just, it's obvious if you've been around for very long here that uh, uh, one of the the leading values that we have is defined by the word authenticity. It's like something that's authentic means that when you scratch it, Below the surface, it's consistent with what it appears to be above the surface. And this was in 2018, 19, I forget the exact time, um, but it was pre-COVID. And so here we were uh, coming up with uh, sort of marketing phrases for authenticity. How could we... How could we say authenticity in in such a way that people would get it right off the bat? Because authenticity is kind of a, uh, it's a word that's that's really mushy. It's like jello, you know? And so we came up with this phrase that we thought we were going to use. And the phrase was, what does it mean to be authentic? It, It means ruthlessly taking off the mask. And then COVID happened. And we realized, that's not going to fly here, you know? Um, it, it sounds more like a political statement than it does a statement of core value. And so we kind of had to put that ruthlessly taking off the mask on the shelf for a while. But the reality is, is that's what we mean by authenticity, and I think that's Really, in many ways, one of the keys to becoming self-aware is understanding what masks you wear. I mean, I don't know about you, but I went through an evolution in 2020. You know, I I started wearing those goofball medical-looking masks when I had to. And then I thought, now this is like a fashion statement. And I discovered that the university that I graduated from was selling masks. And so I ordered some masks on the line so I could represent Baylor University on my face. 
they weren't much of a mask. And then a friend of mine's son made some masks that sort of had a statement on it about caring and stuff. And so he sent me some and, and eventually I, I put that on. And then I had to do a lot of traveling during that time and wearing a mask 100% of the time on an airplane was painful. And so I ordered some masks that, that really were easy to wear on. on and, and then someone gave me a chief's mask. Um, and I thought, okay, I can wear that on Fridays or, you know, uh, kind of stuff. And, and, and so we had all these different masks. The fact is, is that unfortunately, it represents a kind of habit that many of us have. That we, metaphorically speaking, wear different masks. And it causes us to not be self-aware. The masks become filters by which we present ourselves to the world. And what we hope is that people will see us through those filters. Because it's masking something. in We're being inauthentic. Because we don't want them seeing who we really are. Let me just uh, suggest a few masks that you might wear. No, no please, no, no one raise your hand here, okay? The know what I'm doing mask. You ever wear that one? I, I, you know, people look at you like you don't know what you're doing and I, I know what I'm doing, you know? And so you wear this mask. I know what I'm doing. When in fact, you don't. You may be the only one in the room that knows that you don't know what you're doing. That lack of self-awareness is a soul killer. How about the uh, say yes when everything in you wants to say no mask? You know that mask? That, that, that people-pleasing mask, it's like, you, you want to, I, 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 I don't want to take this meeting. I don't want to have this conversation. I, I don't want to go here. I don't want to go to that restaurant. I don't want to go out on Friday night. I don't, you know, all these things. You, but you say yes when, in fact, everything in you says no. How about the hide my weaknesses mask? You know, I, I don't want people to see my weaknesses, and so, boom, I put that mask on, and, and I, I create a lot of energy to help people see me as strong in areas where I'm actually weak. Or how about the avoid difficult situations mask? I, I just don't want to have that conversation. I don't want to be in the same room with those people because I, I, things might happen here or and possibly it could be, you know, with close relatives or friends or people that you used to be friends with and now you're struggling to not be friends with. And that mask wants to avoid it. Or how about the hold back your real thoughts mask? You have real thoughts, opinions. You have real ideas. You have real stuff going on inside you. Opinions about things that are being discussed or, and, and you hold them back. 
and you just mask up. Mask up. Because you're afraid what might happen. You know the the strange thing about life is that 99% of the worst things that ever happen to you and I happen in our mind. 99% of the worst things that ever happen happen in our minds and not in our reality. And so it causes us to build this wall this wall of inauthenticity. This wall that, that wants to mask up and keep people from seeing through that wall to who we really are. And in effect, it causes us to fail to see ourselves the way we really are. It causes us to not look at who we really are. One of my mentors talks about it in terms of, you know, medicine. You ever have some really, really bad medicine? I grew up as a military dependent. And in the military, they had this cough syrup called GI Gin. I mean, it was like, I don't know, 80% alcohol or something. I was like, I mean, and... and the reason it was called G.I. Gin is because you, you couldn't take alcohol when you'd go on these, you know, maneuvers and stuff. And so they would get sick and have the doctor <laughs> prescribe some G.I. Gin. And so take the G.I. Gin instead of the vodka or the, you know, the, the gin itself. And, and so for kids, that's what we would get is cough syrup, is G.I. Gin. My parents didn't get hotline for that. You know, I mean, it's like it was the normal thing for military parents to do is give their kids G.I. Gin. Well, it burned so bad. I mean, it, it, for any of you who ever tasted, you know, 120 proof alcohol or something, you, you know what it's like. It leaves a memory down that feels like your windpipe, but it's not. You know, it's like, <sighs> and, and I remember having to take it and my father would pour it in a cup, and, and, and it would be one of these just sort of half-hearted things. You know, it's like, ah! I would leave about half of it in the cup, and my dad would stand over me, lovingly threatened to beat me within a pulp if I didn't drink the cup all the way down. No, he didn't, didn't threaten me. My father was a good father, so I'm just kidding. Uh, but he made me drink the cup all the way down. And oftentimes when it comes to the spiritual journey and it comes to our life, we struggle drinking the cup all the way down. We get a little sip and, and now it's like, oh man, I've got to go back after it. I know what it tastes like. I know it's going to be a painful experience. But I have a hard time disciplining myself to go there you see self-awareness is that ability is that ability to drink the cup all the way down but you don't have to do it by yourself it's not about you just being alone in this process 
You know, it's interesting. Jesus gives us this really clear picture of who he was and how when he says, follow me, that's his offer to his early first followers, follow me. And so he continues throughout all of history to give that offer to you and I, follow me. And, and it shows us really clearly in his life as his, his biographers describe this. In, in Matthew chapter 11, verse 29, Jesus says, take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. Learn from me. Well, what do we learn from Jesus? You know, when you, you look at, at Jesus' life, you see this incredible thing that happens. Um, there's a moment in Jesus' life where he washes the feet of his disciples. And that's what people in this passage I'm going to read here in a moment often look at. And they think about that. But they, they really have to, you have to go back to how the passage gets set up to really understand how it is that the creator of the universe who visits earth disrobes, puts a towel around his waist, kneels down and washes the dirty, stinking feet of his disciples. How does that happen? Fortunately, John gives us a really clear picture, a, a really clear understanding of what that looks like in John chapter 13. In verse 3, it says, Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing, wrapped a towel around his waist, and after that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet. How is it that Jesus had the strength to do something that really didn't belong with who he was? It was because he knew the Father. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. I would like to suggest that one of the beauties of becoming self-aware, one of the secrets of finding self-awareness is in the identity that you see for yourself. Oftentimes, as, as we begin to do life, we are the protectors, we are the presenters, we are, you know, we're the one that has to keep ourself intact. And when we come to understand who Jesus is, why he left heaven and came to earth, we come to realize that there is a, a fundamental identity that you can possess that no one can take from you. It's why, going back to the passage in, in Matthew, Jesus says, take my yoke upon you, learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. 
You know, there's a concept that exists around here for, for quite some time. It's in these things called the journeys. And we think about these seven spaces in life or seven micro movements in our world. And, and one of the early ones is this idea of moving from earner to heir in our relationship with our Father in heaven. You see, when we're in that earning phase of our life, uh, we are not self-aware, and we are trying to build that wall of self-preservation. We are attempting to mask up and let people see what we want them to see because there is a we that we want to be. There's a me that I want to be that I want you to value. And when we start on that journey from earner to heir, we discover that I've got to accept some things about myself. I'm not perfect. I mean, the reality is that's not such a big deal. But I'm actually worse off than I think I am. And that's a problem. I'm worse off than I think I am, but I'm more loved than I'll ever know. And so until we get to that point of grasping the other side of that coin, the idea that, sure, you, you, you are much more off, worse off than you really think you are. You're more selfish. Uh, you lie more than you think you do. You, you, you put on more masks. You have more masks than you think you have. We, we, we've all got it. But it takes acknowledging that, surrendering to that, because on the other side we know that Jesus is gentle and humble in heart. The reason he went to the cross was to demonstrate that he could take care of all that crap that you and I have in our lives. He doesn't remove it, but, but the penalty of it and and the need to feel like it can be used against us is taken away. The shame is gone. And so I can freely start the journey of self-awareness. I can freely head down that, that path to be able to get to a point where I can acknowledge who I am. Not just once, but as a habit of life. To come to grips with the things I do, the default mode that I have tends to be biased toward myself. It tends to be biased toward building this wall of, of self-preservation. It tends to be biased to finding every mask I can take to put upon myself and I have to give up and say I no longer have to protect myself because I no longer have a creator in heaven. I have a father in heaven. who put the shame of all of the stuff in my life to death. And now I get a chance to lean into that. I get a chance to experience that, to, to move that from a thought to a feeling, to come to grips with what it means to be an heir. The fact is, is that if you've ever appeared in someone's will, you know what it's like to just show up there. I've shared this story many times. I appeared in B.B. Fletcher's will. 
she gave me $5,000 and a lawn chair. Why the lawn chair, I'll never know. <laughs> it's a dear old lady. I, I, I didn't do anything to deserve it. I barely even knew her. I maybe went to her house as a shut-in and, 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 and we had communion together, but that, that's the extent. I mean, that's not a $5,000 ticket, you know? Just was the... And it was, it felt shameful in some ways. I, I, I don't deserve this. I didn't. But it was mine, and the legal system said, here, take the check. You can tear it up if you want. You can throw it away. You can shred it. But it's yours. You see, that's what God's done for us. He's given us the opportunity to be heirs, to embrace Jesus and the cross, to acknowledge the fact that we're much worse off than we really think we are, but far greater love than we'll ever know. And the beauty of being on that journey of self-awareness, the beauty of ruthlessly taking off the masks, takes the power of other people and the mentality of all those 99% things that never happen but so captivate us in our minds, it removes the power, the sting it eliminates their ability to control us. You see, a part of this idea of self-awareness is coming to grips with the fact that I can face reality as an agent and not a victim. Now, our friend at the table up there was living life as a victim. She, she wasn't really grabbing a hold of what it looks like to move through a 12-step process, especially those of you who are recovering addicts. You, 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 you want to go up and talk to her. You want to find her a sponsor. You, you want to help her understand she's not drinking the cup all the way down. But unfortunately... Some of us have a default mode to live as a victim. And so our first question that we ask in everything that happens is why? Why? And that presumes that it shouldn't have happened. Why me? Is, is the underwriting question of everything. You know, I think about a space in my life where I am sometimes the worst human being you can ever imagine. And that's in front of my trash cans. Take the trash out, waited too long to, to take the trash out anyway. I'm hauling a, 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 a bucket of, of recyclables and I've got an overstuffed, you know, uh, I've got a 30-pound garbage sack full of 50 pounds of garbage and I'm going out to my garbage cans and I'm putting them in there and invariably the wind's blowing or something happens and, and, it, and it's a mess. The bag breaks. The stuff's flying all over my neighborhood and I'm thinking about my neighbors. Here they go. They're going to derelict, you know, just littering the neighborhood and all this kind of stuff. And, and, and if I had a tape recording of that, it would be embarrassing for you to hear. 
The poor inanimate garbage cans didn't do anything to me. But I am assailing them, sometimes physically, for what they've done to me. I'm a victim. I could have taken the trash out early. I could have done it one at a time, taken two trips, all kinds of things. And so I would like to suggest that in these moments where we find ourselves caught at being a victim, not asking the question why, but asking what. Even if your discipline would just simply be to stop, you don't even know what to ask, in a sense, but you know that you're going to change the question from why to what. What could I have done to avoid that situation from happening? Plenty. You see, I've come to believe that most of the things that happened to me, 80% of the things that happened to me, even the bad things happened to me because I bring them on myself. And yet sometimes I want to avoid the pain by being a victim. Why me? Why does this happen? Why now? Why do I have to waste so much time? Rather than asking what? I would suggest that if you would like to grow in your self-awareness, if you would like to join Jesus when he says, learn from me. Learn from me. Because he's a gentle and humble leader. He wants to lead you in that way of living, not that way of dying. And so as we begin this process of becoming self-aware, just one simple thing. The next time you ask the question, why? Put a period at the end of it, not a question mark. And then start a new sentence. Ask the question, what? And put a question mark there. And begin to ponder what it's like to move from being a victim to be an agent. To realize that you are writing your own story. You are the author. You're the coder. You're not the software. You are making it happen. It's not happening to you. That's the beauty of what Jesus offers when he says, learn from me. Take upon yourself my yoke. I'm a gentle and a humble leader. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. I thank you for these good people here in front of me and those online. Um, uh, We, we want to do life well. We want to figure out how you fit into that. You have made us to flourish. You, you built the concept of a human. You designed the idea of, of a man and a woman. You, you are the, the, the engineer, the biological, social, sociological, neurological engineer of everything that we are. And so help us as we try to figure out what life looks like. Especially, Father, as we can't touch and see and feel you, 
There's so many other things that we can touch and see and feel that want to have influence. And so give us the, the spirit of perseverance to lean into this mystical, spiritual world. To understand what does it look like? What does it look like to live life without a mask? What does it look like to feel the freedom and the power of being shameless? Father, help us to live in an identity of your children who you loved enough to take care of the mess in our lives. And you love enough to enter that mess to help us walk out of it and help us live in that identity of your sons and your daughters who were bought with a, an unestimatable price. Father, you gave us the privilege to live life as agents, to no longer live as victims. May we make that choice on a minute, hour, daily, weekly, monthly basis to walk in the agency.